Is Lev mic clips? No, he's got a mic. He's mic'd up? Yeah, they're rotating a mic. What do you think of that beard? It's coming in. It is coming in. Finally. He's the Christian Bale of Jamie's. Mm. Do you remember me asking you this? Yeah, like, yeah. You have a Jamie? Yeah. You're like, no. Wait, we didn't know what Jamie looked like. We still don't know. What is a Lev? Yeah. What is the answer? Do you remember that? The uh, Lev is AI. What would we say? Inner, inner. He is the human yeah. manifestation of AI. Yeah, that's what Lev is. Yeah. Do you have a Lev in your business? No, but my 17-year-old son is trying to grow a beard like that right now. So God bless him. He just compared every... you to a 17-year-old. But <laughs> yeah. How does that feel? Lev. I was in junior high school still. So you did. Love. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I embrace it. I, I think beards are the way to go. I think if you are, if you're in a grocery store, do you still go to grocery stores? Yes. Okay. Some people just have a grocery stick. <laughs> um, uh, if you go to a grocery store and it's going down at a grocery store, there's a guy with a rifle, right? And AR-15, what have you. Things are going bad. Fruit flying everywhere. Everybody's ducking and covering, right? Am I painting this picture? You're painting it. Okay. Who's going to save you? The guy with your face, which is too handsome. Yeah, right? me. Yeah, right? I'm no. running. Or it's guys like you and or me. Or the psychos. Yeah. yeah. Or it's like the guy with the beard. Who's going to protect you? The guy with the baby face or the guy with the beard? Well, if we're in California, nobody. Right. <laughs> We're going in hot. Yeah, dude. I don't even know who this guy is. Yet. Yeah, we're about to be. I'm from Canada, so I really can't say much. I guess. Oh. No, you can say so much. You can say whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, nobody. Nobody at home has internet. Where are you from, by the way? So let's let's get into it real quick. Let's introduce who our guest is. Um, well, my name is Riley Edwards. Cool. Uh, from Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, of all places. And a trade Canadian. You've never heard of it, then. Probably like most people, yeah. Uh, but it's south of Calgary, and so if you know Calgary Flames or the Calgary Stampede, that was that's how I grew up around those kind of things. Was that close to Edmonton? Edmonton is like five hours north, so okay, you're south. It's a little bit of yeah, of yeah. a drive, but yeah, yeah. when you're from Alberta, five hours isn't that long. It's rare that we meet Canadians. I feel like they're everywhere though. Oh, they are? Yeah. yeah. Are they? Yeah. That's even in celebrity land. You got some Beavers, the Drakes, the Jordan B. Petersons, the... That's true. There's another guy who's... How about number 99? Like little... Yeah, Gratz. That's absolutely... Yeah. Shania Twain is from Canada? Yeah. By the way, that's Thomas for all of you guys. Everybody's high school crush. You just aged yourself pretty bad. Yeah. Mine was Cindy Crawford. Oh, I was Mine is still Sydney Crawford. Yeah, she's she's yeah. such a Elle McPherson. Yeah, Crawford. and she's younger. Elle McPherson's younger. Sydney Crawford's old. I don't really know. I just all I know is that my dad used to get the Sports Illustrated. So every once in a while there was a swimsuit edition. Remember Sports Illustrated? Is that around still? No. Yeah, it's still around. Is it a magazine? Absolutely. Really in yeah. circulation. Oh, I don't know about the the magazine, but yeah. it's Sports Illustrated still thing. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, get, getting back to it. So you're from. Some town in Calgary that named the town Alberta Bridge after a bridge left in Alberta. So Alberta is like yeah. is a province, right? Absolutely. It's like a state, and so everybody will ask you if you're from, you know, it, it, if they're talking about Canada, they'll ask you if you're from a uh, 
Providence, right? Like Rhode Island. It's like, yeah, it's like, no, it's a province. Right, sure. And inside that province, I grew up in a city called Lethbridge. Some people call it Deathbridge. Uh, because it has a city after a bridge. Yeah, but it's got a big train bridge that goes across uh, a coulee is what it's called, river bottom. And uh, yeah, Lethbridge. That's where I'm from. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, then what are you doing in sunny Southern California? Well, uh, I started a business like 13 years ago, but uh, if you go back before then, I always had a desire to kind of get out of that place because it, you know, it was small and uh, yeah. lucky for me, I had a dad that really, really wanted me to go out and see some different things before I started, before I decided to permanently settle there. Is he Canadian also? He's Canadian, but has dual citizenship. And um, I don't know, I think it, he just thought there was, you know, there's a whole world out there. And so if you decide to come back and settle in Lethbridge, that's fine. I have a brother that lives there. But uh, I think he wanted me to do that based on having experience being other places. And so I can remember the first uh, time that I left Canada was to actually go and do a job related to what I do now. How old were you? Uh, I was 21. So I had just gotten back from a, an LDS mission. If you guys know what those are, the yeah. guys with the name tags. Yeah. And and knocking on your door. They'll so, rake your leaves. Yeah, be nice. To Little them. known yeah. fact, if they come knocking on your door. Did you know this? No. So if they come, if LDS uh, boys come to your door and they're on their mission, right? Technically, as far as I understand, you could correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not a pro. But they knock on the door. They're wearing white shirt and the trousers, right? the slacks, backpack, backpack, oh, yeah. bicycle, right? Maybe even a helmet. Yeah. 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 Stereotypes. But let's say, for example, you're trying to do some yard work, put up a fence. As I understand it, they will help you do it. Yeah. Well, one of the biggest things that they're encouraged to do is do service for people in the community that they're in. And so, yeah. you know, as you can imagine, they face some pretty, uh, pretty hefty challenges in doing what the, you know what they do with their with their missionary work yeah. and so one of the ways that they're supposed to make an influence on the community that they're part of is to do service and a lot of times that service is done without any kind of expectation for having to listen or conversion or anything like that it's just a way for them to contribute to the community because yeah the LDS faith actually you know really feels like that's an important part of things to is to belong to the society in a meaningful way, and so yeah, yeah, they'll do service for you. Christmas lights? Did you, I, does that does that draw a line? I don't know. Like if you get put up your fence, yeah. No, I didn't. That would be good. Oh, yeah. If you have some uh, OSHA sensitive uh, things going on your property, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the rules are anymore. They changed where a lot the since I was there, but yeah, yeah. But but what happened is I went on this mission, right? And so went on this mission, came back. I uh, was trying to figure out what I was going to do regarding school and things like that and uh, ended up having a friend hit me up and said, hey, we went and sold pest control door to door uh, in North Carolina and we're putting a crew together to go to Vegas. Right. So now you got like a Mormon group of kids going to Vegas. Not your, uh, Have you ever, not your typical at, thing. Yeah. At that point, did you know anything about Las Vegas? Yeah, I'd been to Vegas before. So oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'd All right. Cool. Traveled down there. My, my grandparents used to go a bunch. And anyway, so uh, they invited me to do this, and and I went and talked to my dad, and you know, taking it back to my dad. And when I asked him, uh, it was really interesting to see how much different his 
uh, response to that was than my friends uh, immediately is like, yeah, you should go do it. Like no hesitation. Wow. And, you know, we got other parents that are being like, are you sure? This is like, sounds like a scam. You could stay here and your dad can get you a job or, hey, you've got this uncle that does this. It's a sure bet. And and my dad, like right when I asked him, it was like no hesitation. Yeah, you should do this. Yeah. And it'd be a good thing for you. I've heard of other people doing it before and what a great life experience. And so I went down and, and did that for my first summer. So I went down and sold this pest control door door in Vegas. And, you know, I had, had all sorts of crazy experiences being in Vegas, knocking door to door, as you can imagine, you know, uh, I, I, and I can't go oh, growing up in Alberta, it was just pretty funny. Right. Like, so uh, you, I can imagine some horror stories. Yeah, I well, horror stories. I, I, I think it was my second day on the doors and I, I knocked on a door and some woman in a bikini answers, right? And as you can imagine, if you grow up in Lethbridge, Alberta, you don't see a lot of bikinis. Weather one is a restriction that makes it really tough to wear bikinis. Yeah. Number two is you don't see a lot of plastic surgery ever ever either, right? So, you know, I'm this young return missionary LDS guy. Uh, this woman answers the door. She's in a bikini, obviously has a sizable uh, breast augmentation, right? God bless her. And so she answers the door you know, nonchalantly, like she answered the door like that all the time, which I'm sure she did. Wait, slow it down. <laughs> what month are we in? This is... What's the temperature? This is, Ju this is like uh, beginning matter. of June. Keep going. End, end of May, beginning okay. of June. All right. Something like that. I'm trying to get yeah. to the breast. Yeah. And, okay, so anyway, so she she answers the door and is like, what do you want? And I'm, I'm looking at her and like I cannot find the words, right? So, and I'm usually a pretty talkative person, yeah. but I'm in a situation I you know, hadn't, hadn't been in before probably. Sure. And this woman was just staring at me. She's like, what do you want? And I couldn't come up with the words. And so I just gave her a flyer and said, thanks. Have a good day. And walked. walked and away. that's how we came up with, we do and, creepy. Yeah. 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 And so uh, I probably did look pretty good, but uh, it just totally caught me off guard because I came from such a small town environment. Sure. Where those things were you know, readily presented in front of you all the time. I, I was, I had really high hopes that that turned into like a, well, like if you would invite him in, uh, he could sit down and tell her about, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. That, no, that was advanced. Level. I was, I was not ready. And it was probably obvious to her. So. Where did you do your mission? Provo, Utah of all places. Oh, okay, cool. That's where the IRS is, right? Uh, I don't yeah, is that where yeah, it is? I feel like whenever you get there, it seems like you got a letter recently numbered as well. Then you got Ogden shout out for the IRS. Ogden, yeah, Ogden. Yeah. That's look at the Canadian. Look at the Canadian. You guys pay. Yeah, my taxes. I pay my taxes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. they'll call it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Unfortunately, <laughs> where are all these DMs? <laughs> IRS is DMing. <laughs> so, so to take you back to that story, so I went down and I I had a good experience. We had some friends that went down. We had a really great time, and I learned a little little bit about selling. And then I was on my way home and I called my dad. I was trying to get everything set up and I called my dad to give him my schedule. And he said, Riley, I've been thinking about this and he's, it's fine if you come home, but you're not welcome to stay here. You know, and I had a bedroom in, in my, the house I grew up in, in, in the basement that I'd lived in for a year after I'd gotten home from my mission. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, you're welcome to come home, but you're not welcome to live here. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? And he's like, I just don't want to make it any easier for you to stay here. Right. And I said, well, so 
what does that look like? And he's like, well, I'm glad you asked because your brother who's going to school in the States right now happens to have a professor that's on sabbatical and he's watching his house and they happen to have a bedroom in their basement that they're willing to let you stay in. And he's already got you enrolled in classes. So my dad and my brother had been scheming a way to keep me in the States so that I could just stay and have a different experience. And then, you know, now we're, I mean, 20 years from that and, uh, well, more than that, 20, 23 years from that. And, uh, here in officially, uh, an American citizen now. Are you? Yeah, my taking the oath. Yeah, my wife is a dual citizen. She's Canadian American, and so uh, you know, through that, I was able to get citizenship, and here I am. Yeah, USA. Look at that, dude. Oh, yeah. get... That's a good story. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good story. Um, so now I kind of want to ask you some questions, since you've kind of given us the origin story, right? Mm-hmm. Which you know, I feel like is tied into your faith, because w- without that faith, right? And you wouldn't have taken those initial steps. Oh, most certainly. Yeah. yeah. So let's rewind, right? Because we fast forwarded almost 20 years to where we are today. Um, it's one thing to get into an industry and stay very comfortably as an employee, right? Yeah. What were the early indications to you that that led you to believe in yourself? that you could make that transition that everyone dreams about. You see it on Instagram, right? All these thought leaders, all these like orators, all these guys, Tony Robbins and you know Grant Cardone's of the world, they're all talking about, if you're, you know, if you're working a nine to five, you're dead. What, what were the indications early on where you're like, I can leapfrog, I can make this daring transition and risk it all from being an employee and being safe and having an income to being an entrepreneur and laying out these plans in a foreign in a foreign country because you're not even you know at yeah. that point you probably weren't even American yet right right so what were the early indications and what were the what were the initial first steps that you took. But you always say this, right? Like when you're comfortable as an employee and you know you want to make the transition to being an employer, do you plot? Don't you say stuff like that? In in real estate, you have to plot, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know what it's like. And it's a bit nefarious. Yeah. Right? We, we spoke about that about you, I think, two weeks ago. Yeah. Like yeah. how you kind of, you were pretty upfront. And... I was out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was out. But I think, again, right? You're saying that in your industry, you kind of have to plot. But in your industry, and I want you to sort of explain this to the viewers, right? Because I know a little bit about it. It is an industry that is dominated by LDS people. And so we're speaking specifically about pest control. But um, what are the initial first steps you took? Or what were the indications that you could take those initial first steps? And how did it make you feel that you were essentially you know, rejecting an employer would help you accomplish something and maybe now competing directly with that person who embraced you and, and, and gave you this insight into this industry, which is very unique, very esoteric, right? So, yeah. Well, in order to answer that question, we have to 
rewind just a little bit and talk a, a little bit more about my history because this was never really a, a permanent job option for me, right? I did it as a job to make money to pay for college. And I was convinced I was on the fast track to go be a dentist or a doctor. So I have a degree in neuroscience. Okay. And I had an academic scholarship to a place called Weber State. Um, is, that, is that in Utah? Yeah, it's in Ogden, Utah. And then I transferred later to BYU. But I was merely going to do this job in order to pay for school right. and get on the fast track to do that. Because when you grow up in Lethbridge, Alberta, that the people that have the best lifestyle and the richest people in a small town are the dentists and the doctors, right? And so I, I felt like if I could become a dentist, my life would be solved, right? Like all my problems are solved. Yeah, I'm making a hundred grand a year, and if I can make a hundred grand a year, I mean, like problem solved. Everything's everything's gravy after that, right? Sure. And so, as it happens, life kind of hits you in the face, and I had a couple really key moments in my life that kind of transitioned my thinking into um getting to the point that you were talking about where it's like okay maybe i could actually do this right yeah and so uh the first start the first part was that I, I i never really got great grades in high school i had over 100 absences in my senior year of high school sound familiar yeah and <laughs> not me oh that's you not me you know i i used to get dropped off at the seminary building right so we'd have early morning seminary and if it was snowing at all we would just walk through the front door and then out the back, jump back with my car, Good God. and we would drive to the ski hill and, and snowboard for the day, right? And then I get home, Good life. and I knew exactly when the attendance uh, computer from our school would call our, our house, right? So I'd be there to intercept the call. So it'd be like, okay, at such and such a time, I need to be there. And you'd like, you'd pick up the phone and be like, hello, this is LCI attendance computer. You're a student. We're sitting next to the modern first yeah. dealer. Yeah. Yes, it's him, dude. So, so you're a student absent for one more classes, right? And so I'm on the phone. Oh, but yeah, yeah I'll, I, yeah, I'll come over later tonight or whatever, pretend it was one of my friends and then hang it up. And we played that game for at least a couple of years with my parents not ever really getting the attendance computer to call them. Every once in a while, you know, we'd get caught, but... But I had a I had a hundred absences and was never really that applied in school. And then when I went on my mission and I came back, I learned a lot about discipline through that. And so when I got to school, I thought to myself, well, um, after I paid my tuition, so that story would go back to my dad had enrolled me in those classes. I went and I paid my tuition at Weber State and I had to pay out of state tuition. So after I'd earned this money selling door to door, I went and paid my tuition. I had, I think I had like $30 in my bank account after I paid this tuition. So I was like, okay, I have to figure something out because I, you know, I can't work full time on campus because I'm an international student. I already started school two weeks late because my brother and my dad had not told me about this plan they had for me. And so I had to go in and try to get an on-campus job. That's the only job you can have as an international student. Convince this guy named Carl, give me a job, right? And so I got a job um, doing networking for the computers at in the computer labs there. And I could only work 20 hours a week. That was the, the max I could work. So I was doing this job, trying to figure things out. And, you know, at, at, I had two options. I could get a scholarship or I could find a job where it could make more money. And so this the sales job became more and more appealing for me because I needed the money, right? And so I started doing this job, you know, uh, multiple summers in a row, right? And so... I had done the pest control for two years. 
And then I got into doing alarms, actually, door door, if you've ever knocked into those guys or if those guys have ever knocked into you, pardon me. And, um, you know, I, I made a hundred thousand dollars my, Whoa. my third year doing this as a, a door knocker. And that's when I kind of started thinking about things and saying, well, well, maybe this is a possibility, but I still wasn't willing to like give up on, on my dreams. And like, I think my parents had a, had a, had an idea that if I was to do the doctor or dentist route, that that would be really fulfilling for them, you know? Yeah. It's and something to brag about. Yeah. 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 I and, know. And, you know, you go to these things where I have two brothers that are dentists, right? And so, you know, every once in a while you're talking about your family and they're like, well, what happened? What happened to you, right? Like, how did you end up being a bug guy, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyways, I started doing really well at this. And um, I, at the same time, I started applying my knocking schedule. I, I, I was really disciplined knocking. That's why I did good at it. I started applying that to school and got my academic scholarship and then transferred to BYU. Um got married. And then I had like a couple life events that really changed my perspective and allowed me to be a little bit more free, right? Because when you grow up in an LDS environment, there's certain benchmarks that you're, you're trying to hit, right? Those are encouraged, like the mission. And then uh, marriage is, you know, highly encouraged. And, and so you're, you know, as soon as you get back from your mission, there's typically a lot of chatter about getting married, right? So you're dating to marry. And I had gone through a couple dating experiences there, transferred to BYU, uh, met a, a really great gal that I ended up marrying. And unfortunately, two years later, uh, the unorthodox unorthodox path of a Mormon, I got divorced. And, um, you know, when you go through a divorce and you're LDS, it's pretty devastating, right? Because everything in your upbringing, your, the expectations, the, the psyche of the people around you are like so emotionally tied to these benchmarks that when something like that happens, it's like you automatically think you're wearing the scarlet letter. Yeah. Uh, you start to question a, a ton of things that you you really had a lot of uh, built-in security in, some ideas that you had some built-in security in. Does it make you question the faith, Tim? I never got to the point where I questioned the faith. Um, I think that I did that early on, and I was... I was willing to uh, adopt the faith based on culture alone. And, you know, and then the belief side was always easy for me. Yeah. But so I, I went through this divorce and it was uh, really tough because everything else in my life, if I'm honest about it, come pretty easy to me. Yeah. I was in a, you know, I, I had no problem applying myself. I felt like I was, I was pretty good socially. So I had good networks. And, uh, and then this is the first time something ever happened to me where I couldn't control the outcome. Right. And when you have something that happens to you where you can't control the outcome, then, uh, it kind of forces you to enter a new space where you have to reconcile that somehow emotionally, strategically to get around it and to move on with your life. And so when that happened, the plan that I had built for my life kind of just shattered, right? Yeah. And it was such a blessing because I, now I was able to decide how I was going to put that back together. So here I... It's funny because you said it's a blessing. Mm -hmm. So 20 years in the future, you look back on it and go, wow, what a blessing. Yeah. But in the moment. Oh, it was devastating. Right. Right. And every day I woke up with a pit in my stomach. Right. 
every day I woke up wondering how am I going to get through this, right? Could uh, we, we gloss over these things and just pause for one second, yeah. right? In business, especially, when something bad happens, right? But the, the, the regul regulators from the state of California, our federal government, a competitor, something like that, right? It's that same feeling. Oh, yeah. Or you're like in the middle of, you're in the middle of a hurricane or something and everything's spinning out of control around you, right? And it's, you can't control anything. And so at the time, you're like, you know, how do I get everything back on track? We've all felt that way, right? But then fast forward five years, 10 years, 20 years, right? Like how is a blessing that that happened because I learned X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and I would I would interject there and say, you you do have control over something, right? You like when you say you can't control anything, I, I know what you mean by that, but but you can control the way that you react to it, right? The, the the problem there is that you can't control the other party right. involved. And so many, so many instances in my life before that, it was all when I was single. So I had complete autonomy. Like I had control over my life, but now I had no control over what that other person's decision was going to be. And inevitably, uh, no matter what I wanted, it was going to affect me. And so uh, the reason that that was such, you know, a good thing looking back is it just totally freed me up to start thinking about things differently. And so all of a sudden I thought, well, shoot, I don't have any like reputation to uphold. I've already failed at meeting the benchmarks, right? And so much of my life had been wrapped up in in being a certain thing or whatever. It allowed me just to like let go and and start exploring other possibilities. And so from that point, I thought to myself, well, I mean, what's the worst that could happen if I try to do my own thing and it fails? Like my backup is going to be dental school. Well, so pretty good backup. That's, a, that's the best backup ever. Yeah. So wait, so in the middle of this, blank storm right where the marriage is falling apart and you're getting divorced you come up with this idea like i'll start my company yeah good company. well and and and, and, and chaos and get this well so and the really interesting thing about it is is that it happened right when um right when we had the housing meltdown right so this is like 2008 correct oh so you know we just got into this new place we just bought a new house gosh and uh and you know things things went south, fell apart, and so now I'm left with this this house that I got to decide if I want to, you know, give back to to the lender, or if I want to try and and ride out the storm. And I just thought to myself, okay, this is actually the best time ever to do something like this because if I can make it happen when the market is crap. And when things are falling apart, it's like, imagine what's going to happen when things come back, right? You had that foresight. Yeah. Well, I just, I just knew that like, if you could make it happen now, you could make it at any time. Do you have, and so, do you have that type of foresight when things are spinning out of control? I was just a glutton for punishment, man. Yeah. At that point, I wouldn't have- 21, no. What did I have? This, no, this time I'm older. So I was 21 when I started yeah. dealing, right? So now at this point, I'm like 28. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's a little better. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I just thought to myself, like, what do I have to lose? I've got nothing to lose at this point. Right. I just, I just had somebody tell me that like, I wasn't, I wasn't going to work out for them as a life partner. Right. Right. And, and to that point, I, I'd, I'd been a, 
pretty good socially and, and accepted widely in, in a lot of different circles. And I felt pretty good about myself as a person. Yeah. Right. Right. And then you get like that ultimate rejection in that way. And then it was like, okay, well, what do I have to lose? And if there was ever a time to do it, it's now because if I can make it happen when the market is the worst it's been in, you know, however many years, then think about what's going to be on the other side. Right. So I got all geared up. I, uh, I went out and sold for one more summer so I could put some money away and then uh, decided I was going to start my own company. And in the midst of that, I, uh, you know, it, it was probably about two years actually from that point where I started my own. And uh, a year and a half after my divorce happened, I, I met my wife who I'm currently married to. And lucky um, for me, she was super encouraging, you know, and she it's grew important. up in that's important. She grew up in pretty humble circumstances. So I thought she was like, well, who who cares? Give it a whirl. See what see what happens. And so what a blessing. And so I started my own company and um and it you know it took off and well, let's push Paul. Here we are. Well, you you are such a such an amazing order because I almost got lost in the sauce for a moment. Um you were supposed to explain, unless I missed something, what the indications were that you could do this as an employer. You're like, yeah, dude, I just went out there and I sold, made a bunch of money, and then I'm like, dude, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. He answered the question. You think so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so here's the proof, right? The proof is, is that I'd gone several summers yeah. where I had done well. I had recruited and built sales teams mm. and done that for somebody else. Okay, so that's different. And so here's, here's the, actually, you'll like this part. So here's the crux of it, right? So I went, this one, I really started thinking about it, which was probably a year before my divorce, right? Maybe, maybe a year and a half before my divorce. But what happened is I... I had got invited to go on a, a cruise that I'd won as a sales incentive, right? With one of the companies I was with. So um, <laughs> I feel like this could go a lot of different ways, but so I, I was out selling, right? I had, this, I had this academic scholarship. I, I was, I was dating this girl that I had just broken up with that I'd been dating for quite a while. And I decided to drop all my classes and I went to Central America, backpacked through Central America for two months. Oh, wow. I did it all on my own, got a Lonely Planet travel guide, you know, learned a little bit of broken Spanish yeah. and went to Guatemala, Honduras, uh, and El Salvador and traveled around with a bunch of European people that, that right. do it. In fact, in, in fact, uh, you know, there, there's a bunch of uh, Israeli people that go and do that after they get out of the army. After right? they get out of the army. Yeah. 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 So anyway, met a bunch of them. Yeah. And, uh, and when I was doing that, I... I got a, an email from the guys that I worked for. This is when I had made a switch to alarms and they said, Hey, we've got our company cruise coming up. And I'm like, sorry guys, I'm cruising around central America. I'm not going to make it. And they're like, not going to make it. They're like, Hey, you're a big part of this. We need you to be there. And so I said, well, I'll, I'll think about it. Right. And so these broken emails every couple of days when I'm at an internet cafe are getting exchanged between me and the owner. And finally, he just said, I already bought you a flight to fly into LAX on this day. If you fly in there, you'll be able to make the make the cruise. So after thinking about it, I thought, well, oh, it'd be a good experience to have. And I got I to gotta go back to work at some point. And so I decided to jump on a plane, flew back to LAX, um, you know, went from LAX down to the port and, um, you know, stayed in a hammock actually in LAX. So I flew in like late at night 
put a hammock between two poles, I remember, and uh, I'm sleeping in this hammock between these two poles that are in LAX and one of the terminals. And I wake up to somebody that, like washing the windows over top of me. So I'm like, get a couple drips on the face. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And I look over and there's this janitor guy and he's just like, oh, no problem, you know, and he's just like yeah. cleaning the windows over top of me. And I went down to, on this cruise, had a great time. And on my way home, this is the point of the story, on my way home, I stop in Vegas to see the guys that I originally sold for. That's where their office is. Okay. And I go to the office, you know, I've been there a bunch of times. I walk in the door and they're not there. Ask, you know, where these guys are. They're not there. And everybody's wearing Terminex shirts. Oh, okay. And so they're the like, franchise. yeah, we just bought them. Oh. You know, we just bought their company. And I, and like, of course, I'm in Central America. I'm knocking doors for another different company at this point. So I had no clue what was going on. And so I found out that they had sold to Terminex and I found out how much they had sold to Terminex for. What that number looked like? 30 million, I think, something like that, if I remember correctly. And what were what was revenue back then? Oh gosh, I, I couldn't tell you that. I don't I, I don't know. Like that's the problem, right? Is I wasn't paying attention to those details because I was gonna be a dentist. You do now though. Yeah, well you we yes, yeah, right. <laughs> but I was gonna be a dentist. And when I heard that number, I thought to myself, Well, gosh, we they, you know, we helped them build that. Right. And so there's probably like some room for other people to do their own thing, right? Sure. And so at that point I started thinking about the fact that I had done enough and had enough experience to where I could probably do this on my own. And, um, you know, for me, I, I'm a pretty simple person. And so I don't, I don't ever have these like illusions of grandeur. Like I, I'm quite happy to sit in the background and build something that gives me freedom. I, money has never, ever been my primary goal. Is that it's always been freedom. Is that the Canadian side of your brain or is that the for sure. side? So like, I grew up in a place where, where, where people are really simple and, um, there's just something, there's just something magical and authentic about the way that people are there. And people take great pride in, in being that way. Like, like I don't want to generalize too much, but it's people that are, have conservative values, but are almost like anti the American dream ideal, which is like, oh, I'm going to have a big house and a big car. It's like, no, no, I'm going to drive a Honda Accord. And the reason I'm going to drive a Honda Accord or a Toyota Camry is because these are the most, you know, these are the most practical vehicles you'd ever, ever buy. And, and I think freedom for people there is much more important than stuff. In, yeah. In Canada. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that was the, I think that was probably one of the biggest differences is that I had a lot of friends in the United States that I think they measured their value a lot of times by things outside themselves. And so I, I constantly had guys giving me a hard time about driving a Dodge Neon when they were driving Hummers. You know, I had a Dodge Neon and they would be like, why you still drive that? And then I know how much money you made last year. Why are you still driving? I can't believe it. You know, and um, like for me, that was a win. Like that showed me that if I was doing something different than everybody else, I was probably on the right track. Yeah. And I think that in the way that I grew up or the place I grew up is authenticity is much more important than presenting yourself as a certain way, right? Like, like a, to borrow a quote from a Mormon guy, right? Like he says, uh, this is Stephen, Stephen R. Covey, if you guys ever heard of Covey, of course, yeah. he, he's a legend. But like um, in one of his books, he, he says that fashion is the science of appearances and inspires one with a desire to seem rather than to be. 
And I never wanted to seem to be anything. My desire is to be whoever I am authentically. And I'm, I never ever wanted to be confused or mixed in with people that pretend to be something that they're not. And so, you know, it comes with its advantages and disadvantages, right? Like I'm, I'm pretty conservative in the way that I run my business and I, you know, I, I drive a Prius, right? That's have you have you seen them around town? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like hyper practicality. Yeah. But the reason I do those things is because it doesn't matter how much money you make, you can get into a situation where you start borrowing strength from things and it puts you in a place where um, it limits your freedom. And freedom for me is the the, the biggest goal, right? Yeah, it's weird, right? Like when you first got into being someone who was self-employed, um, did you see the upside as a path to goods? I can have a big house. I can have fancy cars. I can go on these vacations. I can have these things. Or did you look at it from the perspective of time is something that you can give but never get back? You know, amongst traded commodities between human beings, right? The give and take of human interaction, I always say. The, the, the currency that's exchanged between humans is time, attention, love, adoration. Time is the most valuable one. Did you Were you thinking of becoming an entrepreneur as something that could fast track you to goods, things? Or was it more like, how can I accumulate i think it was just to get out of the the rut like i don't like being told what to do by someone who's not as smart not as strong not as fast not as good looking either but um i just couldn't take someone telling me what to do anymore so it was i had the stuff so it was time yeah it was time. it was really time it was just maybe respect time time was a factor i think time plus respect equals freedom maybe I think when you, if you put respect in a pot and you let it simmer long enough, right, the respect evaporates and really what's left in the pot is just time because time, right, is really the biggest freedom that we can all strive for, right, as entrepreneurs, right? And and you're saying, well, you come from Canada and you're LDS and these are your conservative values. At the end of the day, right, you don't want to derive power from goods, from things, from the accumulation of items, right? Instead, it's how can I preserve my authenticity while still building a foundation uh, of success for my employees and their families and also doing the same for my family, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, look, I'm not, I'm not claiming to be a saint. Like I, I like taking vacations and I like nice things, but uh, you know, my nice things are probably more tied into experiences than right. actual items, right? And man, always looked at it from that perspective. Always, yeah. always, and it's you know, it it actually sometimes is a little bit lonely in in that area because not all people feel the same way. But that that's not a dig at anybody else. Like, there's some people that are really into cars, or there's some people that are really into things right and everybody has the freedom to decide you know the things that they're going to be into but for me like i i just only know how to be 
one way. And, and, you know, obviously that has a lot to do with my upbringing. And I just, I love the way that I grew up. Right. I love where I grew up. Uh, I think the weather here is way better. Um, and there's some real advantages to being here over where I grew up, but like I had one of the best possible upbringings you could imagine. Yeah. And I want to stay true to that. And part of the reason I want to straight stay true to that is that it's getting harder and harder to live that kind of life, um, in this environment. And so I want to be authentic for my kids to well, define this environment. What do you mean? So, uh, you know, I live in a, I live in a lot bigger city and experience than, uh, with my kids than, than I did growing up. And so I think it's sometimes hard to hold, hold those principles and, and standards that I grew up with, uh, and to transfer those to your kids, if you're not in this environment, that's really similar. Right. And so you got to be a lot more proactive for that. And so I think the best gift that I can give my kids is to stay authentically that way. And it's never going to forge their own path and, and it's going to be different. I mean, look, I'm living a life that if you had asked my 16 year old self, if I'd be living this life, I'd have, I'd have thought you were crazy. If you told me this is what the way it was going to turn out. Right. I mean, I am infinitely blessed and I am so uh, I'm I'm so lucky. I hate using the word lucky, but I, like really, I'm lucky. There are a lot of conditions that happened at certain times in my life to put me where I'm at today that have nothing to do with my own personal efforts or tailoring to get there. Yeah. Um, lucky for me, I was raised in in a way and with parents that taught me how to take advantage of opportunities and see them. And um, yeah, I'm living a life that I that. I probably never would have even dreamed possible as a 16 year old. You know, what he's talking about is something that I fight with on a day to day basis. I don't know about you, but you know, you're sitting on Instagram, let's say it's late at night. Um, and, and you're, you're flipping through your feed and you're bombarded with capitalism, right? You're bombarded with the philosophy that more is better, newer is better bigger is better right um and this is um you know I, I think this is like etched into the psyche of most americans which is just like it's a it's a consumer economy right and you always have you know like iphone right there's a new iphone out every year is it any different than the last iphone not really but you got to get it right yeah. so how can you get it and you see going back to this instagram thing you see all these guys or gals promoting something on Instagram, selling something. And the video is a showcase of what they've accumulated in terms of things. It's boats, ATVs, UTVs, trucks, cars, airplanes, and helicopters. Yeah. Right? And it's name brand this and it's name brand that. And this is what they're selling to other people. And it's a, at best, it's a facade. At worst, they're rentals, you know? Yeah. And somewhere in between, it's financed, which is probably just as terrible. Yeah. Um, and it is tough to 
raise a family in an environment that is hostile to conservative values. Um, well, and it, but even in that, even in those conservative values, like you see, some of these people you're talking about are are conservative people, right? Or or opportunists, I guess, in in that space. Yeah. But the problem is, is that the the reason that they do that is because it works, right? It does work, but but going back to the family, right? That's one thing. That's selling. I get that because mm -hmm. you know they're promoting something, they're selling, and they're selling this dream that a guy in nine to five can achieve these goals. And aspirationally, you have to delineate, sort of like make a list of, okay, well, if you do as I say, do as I do, you'll be able to check off these things on your checklist. Big O, fancy car, boats, vacations, luxury watches. And I think that's okay to the extent that it motivates people to take that leap of faith, like we talked about early on in this podcast, which is making that leap of faith from a an employee to an employer. I think what I fight with, what I wrestle with is at night when you're sitting on Instagram and you're seeing this stuff, it's, it's easy to fall victim to adopting those items, those things, that belief system, that consumerist thought, that liberalization of your mind where it's like, I don't want to say you're turning your back on faith, but you really are adopting some of these items, right? As a faith system, you're, you're moving your ships from here, which is culture, which is religion and faith. And you're putting your chips over on different numbers on the roulette table, hoping that it hits those numbers. And I liken it, do you surf at all? Yeah. Okay. So when I was younger, I surfed a lot. And I remember one of the earliest lessons that I learned in surfing was don't paddle out as the wave is breaking in your face. Right. <laughs> and um, I talk to my kids about this all the time, which is don't fight the ocean current. Don't fight the ocean current. The ocean is a hundred and oh, thousand and oh, a million and oh. The ocean doesn't lose. Right. Um, don't paddle out when the wave is breaking in your face. And and to liken it back to what we see on Instagram, um, the wave is constantly breaking in our faces. So you're a conservative guy with conservative values, thrust from Canada, you know, a very small, right, a very small town into, well, Bikiniville, yeah. which is Vegas, right? <laughs> and... Um, Cause that's where you kind of like, um, that's where you got your sea legs, right? That's where you yep. learn to sell really. Yeah. And then you come into California, Southern California, which is a fast paced, um, I would say, um, it is an area of the United States that has maybe given up on faith and has adopted different principles, which are, you know, liberalism. And I'm not trying to like go political on this podcast because I'm sort of right in the middle. I'm, I, I don't skew from, I'm not on one end of the spectrum. I'm not on the other end of the spectrum, but it is tough to raise kids in that environment and still preserve your faith. And that's something that I think people want to understand, which is, all right, listen, you got kids, you got baseball on the weekends, right? Specifically Sunday, 
Mm -hmm. How do you balance that out with, you know, keeping your faith with church, Sunday school, those types of things, giving your family the same access, right? To things that will help them develop both as a person and an athlete, but not feeling like you're, you know, thwarting their growth in your faith, which has led you to have this type of success. Because I think generationally, right, like with regard to wealth, um, you show me one successful, you show me one successful son, right, whose success was built by his father. So a second generation successful young man who hasn't fallen victim to what I'm what I'm talking about, which is this Instagram lifestyle. I'll sell you, you know, ocean property in Arizona. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to look at it for what it is, right? And when you started talking about moving those chips to the other side of the table, I, I think that's especially poignant because that rep that represents to me anyways, that what I don't want to do, which is I, I don't, I don't want to bet on those things because like you can, you can justify anything, right? If your number one focus is money. Right. Yeah. And so the problem is, is you get these people that, um, move the chips over there. Right. And like the whole act of moving the chips over there mm -hmm. is like leaving something behind and, 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 and betting on something new and the whole thing for me anyways when i see that is that's like trading your integrity or compromising for money and i never want to compromise for money it's the same thing with my company right like people always ask me why did you start your own company well i can tell you right now when you're in a door knocking environment right it's 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 kill or be killed right so you're out there knocking I I've only had a commission job since that one on-campus job at school. It's the only job I've had as an adult, really, yeah. is a commission-only job. So I only was able to earn what what I what I went out and sold. And so, in that environment, people can compromise their values all the time. I mean, look, I I was knocking with guys that had just gotten home off missions, right, and all of a sudden they're talking about their values on Sunday, but then they're lying to people about how it's not a contract or they're running running a, a dead family member's credit because this person couldn't cre get credit in, in order to sell something, right? And they're like, oh, I got paid $500 to do that, right? And so what happens is, is in these organizations, especially the, the door knocking organizations, what happens, they become really sales centric. And so they're so focused on sales that everybody, um, everybody ascribes or, or pulls their value from how many accounts they sold in a summer, right? Right. So when you go talk to these guys, how many do you sell? Well, I sold, sold a thousand accounts. And for a business owner, you may start asking questions like, well, how many of these accounts got serviced? And they're like, oh, well, 600. And it's like, okay, so you sold 600 accounts. Well, no, I sold a thousand, but only 600 were funded. What does that mean? So what will happen is, is they'll sell an account and the account has to uh, has to stay good for a certain amount of time, right? It has a maturation period. And so if the customer doesn't pay their bill or 
you know, in these kind of sales environments, a lot of people show up, the, the service technician shows up and the people say, no, we just didn't want to say no to the sales guy. Or he told us it was going to be this way, but the, the, sale, the service technician now is saying, well, no, it's not that way. And so you have a bunch of these people that are willing to bend the rules or not tell people the whole truth, right? Because there's a high commission on the other side of that deal. Got it. Okay. Right? Yeah. So, so that's what really got me into wanting to do my own business as well, is that like back before they had reputation management software and things like that in my business, people had, you know, two and a half star rating nationwide. Right. Sales guy didn't tell me the whole truth. The service technician didn't show up. They tell you they're going to do this and that, but they're only going to, they only do this, right? And so you have like this whole, this whole wake of, of chaos, right? And, and it's changed quite a bit with the, the landscape. But when I first started doing it, it was mostly Mormon kids that were doing this. Right. Right. They had all the experience of getting rejection day in and day out, Isn't knocking it? doors on the yeah, mission. Brilliant. Oh, it's like, that's where they earn. Yeah. They knocking yeah. doors. They're, right? You know, they're raising these soldiers to go out and, and be part of this. And, and these companies, a lot of times they just choose the product that is going to give them the, the best margin. And so you have all these sales companies that happen to do pest control or a sales company that happen to do alarms. And the one thing that just always like, like got me is that I would be running around putting out fires of these guys that would say or do anything to get a deal. Right. right? And the reason that they're doing that is because the company now is promoting and valuing sales over anything else right and so it's like okay you have three people in this interaction you have a customer you have the company and you have the salesperson right yeah. and and if only two out of the three can win then which two people do you think are going to win first understood the company's going to win first and the sales rep's going to win first right and so now when somebody shows up and they're like no we're not going to do all that it's like why the why the hell would somebody tell me that Right. Well, they, they're telling you that because there's a commission on the other side of that. Right. And so for me, the part of the reason I started my own company is I really honestly felt I could start a pest control company that happened to have a good sales team, not a sales company that happened to do pest control. Right. And there is a difference. And yeah, there's a huge difference. A huge right. Difference, yeah. And and I can tell you that I, I, I can tell you the differences based on not just my opinion, but guys that have come from other companies and they're like, oh, my gosh, we actually do what we say we're going to do. Totally. Right. And people say, well, well, how are you able to do that? Um, how are you able to, to do that? Uh, because all these other companies yeah. are they're like, well, we're the fastest growth. Like, I love this, this stuff all the time. Right. It's, it's all it's all optics. Right. And and their business is recruiting young people to go and sell the product. That's their business. They're not the pest control company. And so they have these huge, you know, these huge headquarters with, you know, the the basketball courts and the and the cafeteria and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it looks like a tech company. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what it is, right? And and uh, but like one of the things that they're not telling people is they have these recruiting meetings, right? And these kids come in and they meet with the the recruiter who's got you know a seven hundred dollar pair of Jordans on, right? He's got a a, a Tesla Plaid in the parking lot. And and maybe he made three hundred grand last year, right? Because these guys are making good. Maybe he made more than like top regionals are making much more than that, right? But like one of the constant things in that world is people are always coming to me for pay advance or a sign on bonus or whatever. Right. And the reason is they're a classic sales guy, right? Which is living in all this flash and all this stuff. 
to manifest to people that I'm successful, right? Whereas I'm trying to help these guys understand that like once they get into that rat race, they understand the mistake they've made, right? But it's really hard for somebody to not double down and just try and blaze their way out of that because they've come accustomed to the house, they've come accustomed to the car, and but they but they're dealing with insecurity as financially the whole time, right? Yeah. So so the the point is is that like I wanted to actually create an environment where all three of those people in the transaction can win. And the only way that you can do that is if the customer wins first. Yeah. And this is, this is what I talk about all the time, which is like, you know, you have different models for how you build companies. Um, you can build a company that is fast paced and all, you know, and sort of like what matters are the sales numbers, or you can build a stakeholder model where the customer comes first, right? Employees come second, right? And then the stakeholder comes third. And I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but Southwest Airlines uses that model. They take very good care of their employees because if you take very good care of your employees, the employees will take very good care of the customers, right? Um, and then, you know, if the customers are taken good care of, right, then the stakeholders will benefit. But I think, you know, if I was to give advice to anyone wanting to start a business, the glory of owning your own business, right? I think when you're an employee is like, I can achieve these levels of success, money, house, cars, vacations, right? When in reality, what you want is time. Mm -hmm. And so when you're building a company, taking care of your employees and having them understand and subscribe to the fact that like, you guys are the reason that we have any of this stuff. The cafeteria, the basketball court, the foosball, all of that stuff, right, is because you guys worked hard. And this is the success that I want to share with you, right? And whether you're sharing that in terms of shared facilities like basketball court and gyms and stuff like that on Brent, or it's vacations, right? Like when you take your employees on vacations and stuff like that, um, I think it it engenders the employees to believe that you are a fair, just ruler, right? Of your fiefdom, of your kingdom. And I think the more, the more incubators for that type of success we have in America, right? The more it promotes young men and women to build businesses using the right foundational thinking, right? Yeah. I think like when we build businesses, right? We never build it fearing that employees are going to leave, right? And start their own thing. In fact, we embrace it. We're like, hey, listen, I had a job as an employee. Today, I'm an employer. And eventually, you're going to do the same thing, right? And I'm going to show you the way. And I think it's taken me 40 years, right? Okay, 44 years. Fact check it. Um, thanks a lot. But it's taken me 40 years, 44 years to understand that as an employer, there is enough meat on the bone for everyone to get full, to never fear people leaving to start their own thing. In fact, culturally, if we can build companies that, again, have that foundational thinking, which is that stakeholder model, take care of your employees, they'll take care of the customers, which eventually will drip down, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and take care of the stakeholders then you have 
stronger companies spread across America. I think one of the one of the most tragic things about American entrepreneurs is that 99% of them don't make it, that 99% of them fail in the first two years. 